So now, are you ready for a missional word this morning? What's amazing is that God began to speak the word during the worship service because when I heard people saying, you know what, we're free, but we haven't begun to move yet. Maybe we're standing in comfortable places, hearing the phrase of walk out and step out and your songs of your goodness is running after me. And it made me think about God as, as the song. It, it, was, it was controversial in beginning that God has reckless love. He has a relentless pursuit for us. And I began thinking about that even when I was his foe in, the, in those lyrics, it says, still your love fall for me. So I'm going to ask you again, and this time, act like you know Jesus. Are you ready for what God has for you today? <laughs> you know, I'm praying over this word today. I really see how God wants to minister to the believer and those striving to believe simultaneously through this word. And I want to set the tone that it's not, information is not the goal, but revelation is. And so I'm going to go straight to Scripture, and this morning I want to do something that, that I don't know if I've done here at Grace, but I'm going to go old school on you this morning, so I'm going to ask you to grab your Bible. <clears throat> I'm not going to put all of these Scriptures up here on the screen, but I want you to grab your Bible real quick, and I want you to go to the book of Colossians. And when you get there, and if you didn't bring your Bible, I'm going to read this, or this may press into you to put a Bible app on your phone. Here's the challenge. When you have it, say, go Jesus. I'm going to read this to you. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life. Somebody say, in your real life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. It goes on to say, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when you, your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Somebody say amen. Amen. Did you get that? I want to unpack this right now. I want to get to the context because I believe it sets up what God wants you to take away today. See, the context of the word here is stating the fact that the day you accepted Christ, you were born again, but you also died. I'm going to let that sink in. You were born again, but you also died. And if you're serious about living this new resurrected life with Christ, act like it, 
show some signs, and walk it out. It's, it's basically saying the old sinful, na- sinful nature, the old you, the old man, the old woman actually d- died. And a great responsibility at that time was birthed to continue to put to death the old you. But it would only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Get it? To put to death the sinful nature and desires of your old life. It's telling us that by faith and the power of God, you had to consider. When you came into Christ, you had to consider. In other words, you had to think carefully about the fact that you are dead to those things now. Those sinful things in your new life. Because that life, that life I'm talking about, your former life, was shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. We're going somewhere. It's basically telling us that it wasn't long ago that you were doing all these things and and not knowing any better, but you know better now. I love it because when it gets to verse 10 and 11, the text proceeds to close by stating, it's basically telling us that every item of your new way of life is now custom made by the creator with his label on it. It's telling us that all the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized, uncaught, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ because everyone is included in Christ. Now, I want to start by saying it was Christ's resurrecting power that created a brand new you. However, here is where the move has to happen. You would then need, once you accept Christ, or if you are an unbeliever and you're trying to get to the place to accept him and learn who he can be in your life, you would need to activate something in the new you by the power of God that will allow you to chase faith on a daily basis. See, your desire and to do greater things, to do greater works, as your Father in heaven spoke of, to set your sights on the realities of heaven, seems to encounter a war against your very own will. Meaning that when God makes you brand new, when he actually frees you, sometimes it's hard to move because there is a war against your very own will to be the brand new creature, to be the brand new person that God has created you to be. Somebody just say, walk it out. Throughout the world, I believe when you think of the phrase, walk it out, ask yourself internally, what does this mean to you? This is a burden word, and that's why I had to call Pastor Joe and say, I'm going to preach. And I'm thinking inside my head, this is crazy. It's been like three weeks of it this week. When am I going to find time? And the Lord reminded me, he said, you never speak anyway. You just open your mouth as a conduit and I speak through you. So I want you to grab this because it's a setup on where we're going in this. Because when you think about that statement, walk it out. Throughout the world, there is a call to wholehearted discipleship. 
That's what Pastor Joe has been preaching on. That's what we're ministering on, discipleship, which is always accompanied by a call to a life of, somebody say, devotion. Now, I want to help you because devotion is a highly concentrated focus on a particular pursuit or purpose. I want you to grab that word, pursuit. See, when you are devoted, you are committed in love. You are loyal to that which you are devoted to. When you are seeking to live a devoted life in Christ, it means that you're committed to living a life of devotion to Christ in pursuit of his purpose. See, when this happens, his character and the the spiritual reproduction begins to happen because then his life is reproduced in you. You then begin reaching to not just obtain faith, but you actually get a taste in your mouth and a desire for saving faith. It is different. Saving faith is what leads to salvation, and it includes things like Committing your life to God, believing, obeying. It's a Romans 10 and 9 experience of declaring, openly declaring that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. It's trusting and it's inviting Jesus into your life. Shall we go forward? See, walking it out in Christ is not just about reading. It's not just about listening or hearing or even proclaiming the word of God, but it's about acting on that word. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, I, I want to I give you something because application is going to be so important in this. Before we get to that, I want to continue really exposing you to the word of God in this because if you're going to walk it out, if you're going to walk out your face in faith in Christ, if you've been freed, if you've been renewed, or you've met Christ, it doesn't stop there, but there is a walk. There's some examples in the Bible that really spoke this loudly, that really stood out to me, and I want to give you the first one. The faith of a centurion. This is a time when Jesus, and, and let, me, let me clarify, These examples are examples of people walking it out in Christ or having a walk of faith, standing on what they believed or what they heard about Christ. They had enough faith to act on it. Get it? Here it is. The faith of the centurion. This is the time when Jesus had entered Capernaum and a centurion came to him asking for help. In the book of Matthew chapter 8, verses 6 through 8, it begins in verse 6, and the centurion said, Lord... He said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Pay attention. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. This is where it became interesting because let me explain what's happening here. This, the officer is basically saying, as it's stated in a version of this scripture, he's saying to God, he said, I don't want to put you through all that trouble. Just give the word and my servant will be fine. He was stating that Jesus' word was enough. So he's sharing that he's going to send the authority of God's word ahead. Now, that's amazing faith because he's saying, Lord, you don't even have to come to my house because obviously he's heard something about God. And he's saying he's basically saying, just say the word 
and my servant will be fine. He's saying based on the authority of God's word that healing is going to take place. And then he turns around and he provides an example. The satyrian turns around and provides an example of why he believes this way. Here's what he says. In verse 9 and 10, he says, For I myself am a man under under the authority with soldiers under me. I'll tell this one go and he goes, and I'll tell that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, it says that he was amazed and said to, the, to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with great, such great faith. Now, the amazing thing here is that, first of all, this was a Roman centurion, a captain, a Gentile, often seen as a pagan, exhibiting and manifesting greater faith than Israel. And because of this captain's faith, it resulted in the servant being healed in the same day. Now, Jesus saw the captain as having trust, simple trust, versus the very people in Israel who were supposed to know all about him and how he worked. Now, the mere fact that he had the confidence in the authority of God's word, even as seen as a pagan, as seen as basically not a Jew, as seen as, as, as a different person outside of the people in Israel, his confidence in the authority of God's word to send that message of healing ahead was the thing that was amazing. That was the amazing act of faith. But let me give you another example. The woman with the issue of blood. See, I love this story, and I'm going to tell you, it really exposed something different to me when I went back and really read it again, even before this message. Understand, let me, let me help you. The story of the woman with the issue of blood, what was going on is Jesus was on a lake where a large crowd had gathered around him. And the story says that there was a synagogue leader who came out by the name of Jairus. He came and he saw Jesus, and the story says that he fell at his feet. And he was pleading with Jesus, hey, uh, my little girl is dying. Lord, I, I need you to come save her. I need you to, to come and heal her so that she can be healed and so that she can live. Now, I know you guys may be looking at me saying, Pastor Ray, what does that have to do with the woman with the issue of blood? Well, she was in the crowd. I want to help you. In the midst of this, the woman with the issue of blood was actually in the crowd. The scripture tells us a woman in the crowd has suffered for 12 years for constant bleeding. She has suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she has spent everything she had to pay them. But she hadn't gotten any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Verse 27 should, should open your mind because it says she had heard about Jesus. Come on. Now, she's in the crowd while someone is pleading to Christ. First of all, she's at home. She's sick. She not only walked it out, she probably had to crawl it out. To get where she needed to be to Jesus, and you'll see that in the scripture, but I love that it says she heard about Jesus and she began to think in her own thoughts. And she said, for she thought to herself, if I can touch his robe, I will be healed. This was all because of what she heard. We witness people who claim to know Jesus in the world, and when ripple comes upon the waters of their life, they lose all faith. 
You see, we cannot be only hearers of the word, but doers. We have to. Somebody say move. But I want you to see something that she just didn't sit back and ponder on what she heard, but she took action so that it shall and it would be done in her own life. Going somewhere with this. So the woman with the issue of blood, think about this. She heard about Jesus, but when she went and and made the act, the move of touching his robe, the scripture says in verse 29, she immediately, the immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of a terrible, of her terrible condition. But this is what you have to pay attention to. Verse 30 comes after 29. So Jesus realized in verse 30... (laughs) That healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched me? Don't miss this, because basically, because of her faith, she had already been healed before Jesus even realized who touched him. This is why we're talking about walk it out. The move, the power of faith right here as a weapon that God given it to us. Because he turns around, he asks, who touched me? And then all of a sudden in 31, you have to see that his disciples is obviously looking at him crazy and like saying, uh, his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around us. All these people and you're asking who touched you? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at his knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Wait a minute. So according to her faith, she was, she was healed already. He realizes he was touched. It says God felt the healing go from his body. He asked the question, who touched me? She's already healed. It goes to the next verse in 32. When he kept looking, the frightened woman shows up. She shares to Jesus what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. What made her well? Sometimes people look and they're waiting for Jesus to come and reach out and touch them instead of them chasing God and having faith so you can obtain the healing that he's already promised you. So sometimes we get free, but we don't move. Sometimes we find ourselves standing still, but I believe that she was healed before he even knew who touched him. So he's saying your faith has made you well. Your suffering is over. Why? Because of her faith. Now, there was a pursuit that took place within this woman. And because of her walking out her faith, a healing happened. I came to realize that these two individuals were not your normal church attenders, but they were people, come on, who heard about God and came up to a conclusion of what he could do. See, this, thus a faithful act, trust, it stirred up within them and exposed them to a miraculous healing because they took action. That's why I love seeing Pastor Ann up here, because in the office, I told her it's just this season. Because your faith, Pastor Ann, your faith in God and what he can do and take an action, I believe you're going to be exposed to a miraculous healing. So somebody just say, walk it out. See, we are to walk by faith and not by what we want to see. 
See, Paul talked about this a lot. And if you understand anything about the Colossians, two things it says about them, that they were highly disciplined. That they were very disciplined. They, they really, in their mind, made up their mind how they were going to walk or believe certain things. Paul consistently talked about that principle of how we should live our life, not to just merely attend a church service, not to just attend a church service, worship, believe in Christ, but to walk it out in our daily life. We have to be, we have to have unwavering faith in a world that is wavering all over the place. <laughs> An unwavering faith. So regardless if the gas prices, there, there, they, there are shootings, there are so many things going on in the world right now that humanly, we have every reason to be broken or feel low. But that should give believers, that should give us an unction that it's time for us to make some noise. No longer be quiet, no longer receive Jesus Christ for ourselves, but walk it out. How else will we influence a nation if Jesus is all good for you, but you're not walking it out so anybody else can see it? If I'm coming to church and I'm leaving the same way every single week, God was good, Pastor Joe preached, they killed it, but I'm going home and I'm influencing nothing on my job? It doesn't take you to share a scripture, it takes you to walk it out. I said this to the teens, you know what, are people going to believe more what you say or they're going to believe more what they see? Because you can say, hey, hey, meet me. My name is Anthony. I'm a great person. I promise you, I'm real good. Like other people will tell you that. But until they see, sometimes we are highly sophisticated, not only in our praise, but in our influence. Because we're living in a world that is sensitive to offenses. I'm glad I got over it. I, I, I'm just okay with not being popular. I, I used to want all the followers and the things like that. And now, yes, you have to say it in love. You have to show that love. But when something is going on, you have to bring influence to that. And I'm just okay if you don't like me. If it's going to save your life. If it's, if it's going to allow God to begin to excel you to the next level. If he's going to take you from point A to point B, you have to be in pursuit of his purpose, not your own. Get it? Come on. I want to to share this. We have to have unwavering faith. I say it again. In a world that's wavering all over the place, we must be disciplined and actionable in our walk because we have the greatest example ever. Jesus himself, he didn't just sit around talking about why he was sent. Oh, you know, guys, it's going to be awesome. This is why I was sent. You know, he didn't spend a lot of time on that. But what he did, he was, he was going to have, he didn't talk about, hey, this is what I'm going to have to endure. He endured it on our behalf. He gave us the example of walking by faith when he, he looked beyond the cross. And regardless, he disregarded the shame, right? He disregarded the shame that it would cause him. He would endure and set his focus upon the joy that awaited him. The joy that would happen, right? 
when he redeemed us, mankind, he walked it out. So here's some resource for application for you to walk this out in your life because this is about a calling to action. See, one way you can walk it out is that, first of all, you have to begin carrying the attitude of pursuit. (laughs) You've got to take pursuit. See, pursuit is the act of following something, either to catch it or to engage in a specific activity. See, you, you have to put following Christ into action. A.W. Tozer said that to, this is good, to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Come on. That's the whole thing I'm saying today. Maybe he freed you, but you haven't moved yet. You, you found him, but are you still in pursuit? So you have to move from attending to acting it out so you can truly be following If you're not pursuing something, are you really following it? We should be following the model of Christ and how he relentlessly pursues us, regardless even when we were his foe. When we weren't even listening to him, he was still in relentless pursuit. Come on. We should be chasing, trailing. We should be shadowing in full pursuit of our God, not sitting, not just watching, not just talking. We must be active and walk it out, our faith. Look, it's not enough to know him and not make him known. To be in pursuit is to read, study his words, seek him, worship him in good times and the bad, walking out what you know and believe of the promises of God. Can I give you an example? David in the book of Psalms. I want to read this to you because David, I believe this example is just so awesome because David was speaking to God and he says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body belongs, longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Now understand this was a time when David, David was in the wilderness of Judah. He said, I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. He says, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Verse 6 says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. That's amazing that he's saying this in the wilderness. Now, he said, I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely, but those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. See, the enemy is going to show up. They will go down deep into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become food, the food of jackals, but the king will rejoice in God. And all who swear to tell the truth will praise him while liars will be silenced. I'll leave you with this. Do not think that you have to be perfect before you can pursue Christ. Because if you were perfect, there would be no reason to pursue him. I want you to get that. If you are trying to chase God and become a believer. But point two, I want to share this. If you're going to walk it out, you must refrain from dead works. Proverbs 14 and 12 said, There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Quickly, I want to tell you that we humanly seem to rely on things teens heard this during camp. We seem to rely on things that make us feel significant. 
which are usually things we produced ourselves. Dead works. Anything that is produced yourself that you're going to believe in over Christ, that's dead works. The belief that we can do things ourselves or be good without God is what primarily keeps us from him. We should be seeking spiritual significance over earthly success without God. Doesn't mean you cannot have success on earth, but don't think that's all you need and not God. We have to seek spiritual significance versus our very own earthly pleasure. See, we get focused on what we are doing and making happen that we don't even take time to grow, especially spiritually grow. I taught the teens during camp. I said, sometimes our ego, our ego gets too big, and ego meaning edging God out. See, when we begin to think about ourselves, we begin to edge God out of the process of our life. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you get, the, you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. So the dead works are those things that, that are self-righteous, those things that we focus on. I want to give you this last example here. There was a story in a leadership book I was reading. Listen to this. The, there was a professor speaking at a seminar, and I want you to think about dead works, right? The professor is speaking at a seminar with a sports psychologist and asked participants if there was anyone in the audience who couldn't catch a ball. A woman raised her hand, and the sports psychologist took a big, soft Nerf ball and said to the woman, I'm going to throw this ball towards you, and he wanted her to see if she could catch it. (laughs) Every time he threw it, she bobbled it, and the ball fell to the floor, so she obviously couldn't catch it. Then the psychologist told her, this time when I throw the ball towards you, don't worry about catching it. But instead, focus on the number of times the ball rotates, leaving my hand until it gets to yours. He said this time when he threw the ball, she caught it every single time, continuing the number of times she would state the number of times the ball rotated. When she realized what she was doing, amazed, the woman asked, why can't I catch the ball now? The psychologist stated, because you weren't focused on the results, but you were focused on the process of how many times the ball rotated. You see, when we stop being self-righteous, focusing on ourselves and focus on God, believing that his power can do all things in our life, we'll stop focusing on the result and we'll be focusing on the process that he's taking us through. We'll focus on how many times that he's stepping into our lives and what he's doing. The rotation represents that regardless of what's going on around me, regardless that the person is throwing me the ball, she's focusing in on the rotation. There could be people in the room. There could be distractions in your life. There could be so much happening in your life right now that could keep your focus off God. But if you can focus on the process, if you can focus on the rotation, if you can focus on what he's doing, then you will see that his power only by his power that we can do all things. See, we realize that he is the only way to turn dirt, dead things into living things. I want you to get this. Dead people don't serve or worship a living God. You can go ahead and play. I want you to get that. Dead people do not worship or serve a living God. So if you're going to get this, you have to put these two together because if you have to take pursuit, but you also have to remove yourself from dead works, which means you have to focus on things that will grow you and not consume you. 
Come on, as I close, focus on things that will grow you and not consume you because as we seek first the kingdom of God with all our heart, we grow in Christ because we find him. But when you find him, your pursuit does not end there. You have to walk it out. See, what's happening right now, the world is in shambles. The world is going crazy. And and yes, you need to run to the house of God to refuel. Because that's what it's going to take. Because our pursuit, when we leave outside of these doors, there's a mission field. When we leave outside these doors, everyone in this room should multiply. God is not a God of addition. He's a God of multiplication. But if the world is going to change, everyone is going to have to develop the mindset that I'm a world changer because I'm in Christ. I can infect the people around me. But first, I've got to have pursuit within myself. I've got to be able to desire the pursuit, that relentless pursuit of Christ. I'm going to give you an example as you stand to your feet. It's highly easy for Sunday morning to be filled, but Wednesday night to be empty. This is not a promo for Wednesday night. Sunday can be filled, but Bible study, small groups, those things seem to be empty. You know what? No one has time. Go back to the woman trying to catch the ball. See, if I'm going to grow, I have to, I have to go to a God who's a living God that turns dead things into living things, right? Right? Because if you know this, that, that dead things can't exist with God because he only brings things to life. Everywhere that there was a funeral, there wasn't a funeral anymore when God showed up. Everywhere that there was death, there was a resurrection. Every single time that he stepped into the room. So I'm speaking into your life right now that it is time for us to move. It's time to walk it out. If we don't, guess who's going to suffer? The next generation. They're not going to know. Because there's not enough of the other generation that's bleeding down their influence. There's not enough influence filtering down. So somewhere, the only way my son is going to learn how to change a tire is I got to teach him. So prayer team, come down right now. If you've been standing in a place stuck if you've been in a place that you didn't feel like you could move that you have no clarity if God has been speaking to you and saying he's been calling your name you can come down right now because as we close we invite you into the house of the Lord we invite you for breakthrough we invite you to get to know God if this is your first time the praise team they're going to worship they're going to sing a song But we are going to continue praying. My youth are in here today. If you're struggling with something, I'll press into our teens to come to the altar. Because God is calling you right now, not just to know him, but to make him known. In order to do that, you've got to walk it out. Heavenly Father, we just give you honor and we give you glory. We lift up your holy name to the highest level, God, and we believe that you're calling us to action to move, to walk out our faith as you've called us to. God, and we pray and believe right now that you will show up and you will guide us. You will lift us up, Lord, out of the brokenness. You will lift us up out of the miry clay that we will come like you. Lord, we honor you and we love you. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout amen.